Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing great, but uh, we got bills to pay. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. I mean, it's I after, gonna... it's after Christmas, you know, we're all a little depleted. Oh, it is after Christmas. Yeah. That's right. We're, we're, we are recording this before Christmas. Indeed. But it, it, it's going up after Christmas. So none we're of us have depressed. any money. So <laughs> right. we got to pay these bills. Uh, thanks, Mooby. Um, okay. <laughs> And speaking of Mubi, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema, cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Plus, for the month of December, so you've only got a few days left, uh, you can watch the film of the day for free on the first day of its posting, just to get a taste of the great movies that you get when you subscribe to Mubi. And, on top of that, there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship, to redeem now. And I want to tell you, not you tell you, you know all about this, but I want, to tell, I want to tell you the listener about TweakedAudio.com. That's Tweaked Audio. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Yeah, they look great. It, they kind of hurt your they eyes. They sound great. Colors. <laughs> They're very loud. But no, I'm joking. They look great and sound great. I use them on a daily basis, on the regular, um, as they say. And they're available at a low, low price to begin with. But if you put in some extra effort at checkout and use the offer code pretension, you'll get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Okay. Record time. Yeah. Should we? Should oh, my we, gosh, yeah. I'm sure we, our sponsors appreciate just r- us rushing through uh, the what we have to say about them. I think they probably actually liked it. It's uh, right at the top and people are listening. That is, yeah, fair enough, yeah. yes. And um, so fast that people can't. People can't fast forward through them. Yes. Not that our <laughs> listeners would ever do that. No, they're respectful. They love our sponsors. And we have sponsors that we stand by. That's true. You know? I mean, Tweaked is all right. We're not here. <laughs> We're not here shilling for Burger King. Exactly. Right? Although, Although Burger King sponsored I guess, yeah. us. Like, I could talk all day about that bacon crisp sandwich. They got um, the new A1 Smoky Bacon Tender Crisp. Oh, my God. Now I am talking like I'm shilling for them. But I, li- I was on my, on my drive back from Big Bear. I was hungry. Stuffed it. I went through a, a drive through um after i got my snow chains off you ever had to put snow chains on your car i think i'm good it's it's, uh it's the first time i ever had to do it and you everyone i've spoken to had the same experience at first you think you must have done it wrong this sound can't be right because it sounds so crazy loud yeah uh so i got the snow chains off breathed a sigh of relief and i was like i have earned this new a1 (laughs) smoky bacon tender crisp chicken sandwich at burger king so i went and got it it was I, i will say this uh the naming of these things is what it's all about. I have no doubt that I probably would not enjoy that sandwich, but I liked all those words in a row. <laughs> you know, smoky, yeah. bacon, tender, crisp chicken. Yeah. I like all that stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know what I like? What's that? Is um, great movies. 
great movies, um, especially great movies from foreign cultures, uh, from whom we don't get to see a lot of movies. I mean, we see a lot of foreign movies mm-hmm. from, you know, we, we, we see a lot of, you know, German movies that are not German movies, uh, a lot of French movies. We sure. see a lot of, um, uh, Japanese movies. Sure. I don't, I haven't seen that many Colombian movies, right? But I saw I saw Zombieland when Jen and I were in Bogota, Colombia. Yeah. Does that count? I don't know. Did it, was it a remake? Was there like Colombian actors playing Woody Harrelson? No, Woody playing Woody Harrelson, playing his character. <laughs> right, yeah. No, it was it was uh, the actual movie. But there were subtitles uh, at the bottom. And here's what was fun is getting to Jen and I would laugh. And then about two seconds later, maybe not even a full two seconds, everyone else would laugh. Right. Lots of they fun. They probably thought you were obnoxious. Probably. Well, <laughs> I'm just Max um, Katie from Cape Fear. Uh, at AFI Fest this year, I saw a movie. Now, those who have heard our movie journal episode or our AFI Fest episode have almost certainly heard me talk about this movie because I said it would be one of my the, the, one of the movies this year that if need be I would be evangelical about because okay. it's, a, it's a it's a great movie and it's challenging and it's strange and it's called Embrace of the Serpent. Now it's looking like I'm not going to have to be uh, I mean I will still uh, shout from the rooftops about how great it is but I'm not going to have to be the lone voice because the movie is getting a lot of good press mm-hmm. and uh, as we will talk about shortly uh, has been shortlisted for um, a foreign language Academy Award nomination, which I have to assume is mostly as a function of our guest today. Yes, our guest <laughs> is the the lone uh, American uh, in the movie. And I love the that lone movie. American uh, uh, character. Uh, we'll talk about his character and experiences in the movie movie first, but uh, without any further delay, let's welcome our guest, whose name is Brion Davis. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out. Thank you very much. How's it going? I I, pre- I prefer McDonald's uh, biscuit breakfast sandwiches. Oh, this is King. I don't know if we've had this conversation on Mike, but Tyler and I I'm with you. But yeah. Tyler and I have most a very, people seem to be with you guys. Yeah. Tyler and I have a very different definition of what a biscuit should be. Okay. Okay. Because I like that hard outer shell that the McDonald's biscuit has. Yeah. The moist inside. Yes. Yeah. The doughy. He doesn't like that. It's crunchy. Yeah. It's just, first off, I don't like the idea of having to burst through an outter shell to get to bacon and eggs. (laughs) So you're not a scone guy. Not necessarily. I see. So you want to get to the bacon. Okay. I see. That's fair. I love croissants too. Yeah. I like everything to be nice and hot and soft and oh, it's nice. I'm not opposed to a crunch. Hang on a second. That might not be true. I think I might be opposed to anything crunchy that is hot. Huh. Interesting. So, so fried chicken. Uh, I don't like, I don't like super crispy well, fried chicken. I like the yeah. crispy. It's, it's not bad. Uh, but that's probably about as crunchy as I get. Right. This is a Fair weird enough. conversation. We're having. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my kind of conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, we want to talk about the movie, uh, embrace of the serpent, but first I'd like to get to know you, uh, Rion a little bit. Um, where are you from? Originally, I'm from Paris, Texas. Oh, Northeast Texas. Great movie. Wonderful yeah. movie. Sam Shepard, one yeah. of my favorite writers, mm-hmm. and he's a great actor, too. Uh, my family lives in Austin, Texas. Um, I've lived in New York uh, a couple of times, three year increments. Uh, the cold kicked me out, so <laughs> I can't handle the cold. Um, yeah, so Texas. I'm a Texas boy. Uh, and were you. Um 
in terms of acting, were you in the in the drama club in high school and, and that sort of? Yeah, thing? you know, I played Winthrop in The Music Man at a very early age, and Tom Sawyer in the community theater, mm-hmm. and that kind uh-huh. of. I was very young, and uh, when I was playing Tom Sawyer, I came out and I was supposed to be painting the fence, and and the audience just started laughing at me, and I have no idea why. And I turned around <laughs> and I stared at them; they started laughing harder, <laughs> and I kind of grinned and I turned around and I started painting the fence, <laughs> and I realized while I was painting the fence after that it happened that I was entertaining these people and whatever it was I brought some sort of emotion and movement to them and um I realized that I enjoyed it and later I realized that I could attempt to make a a living at it so is is Winthrop in the music man is that the Ron Howard uh, carrot the kid yes the Wells, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Wells Fargo oh uh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming up. yeah oh, I love that I love that musical <laughs> I really do um, we just plugged Wells Fargo it's, yeah. oh man <laughs> bad move oh you know what I do my boss banks with them and so uh, yeah go get them um, can I, I say do too. Um, something well then you guys won't like this something my uh, my coworker recently had a had a problem with her bank which was Wells Fargo <laughs> and I overheard her say to herself uh Thanks, smells fart go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, were you hanging out with a seven-year-old who, for some reason, has banking issues? Yeah, that's who. That's who, That's where I work. Um, amongst seven-year-olds. Uh, so, um. M- you mentioned you lived in New York. Did you do mm-hmm. uh, stage acting? Yeah, there? so I went to school in Arkansas. I went to a private Christian university, and they uh, offered me a scholarship to do some theater there. And um, and then I didn't finish there because I was just chomping at the bits. So I moved to Austin, um, kind of grounded myself a little bit there in the film industry, and then moved off to New York. Uh, very early on, and I studied at the HB Actors Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied there for toward three years, um, different classes, different segments, different components of, of, of acting and entertainment. Um, and I, I really got a really amazing grounding as, a, as an artist there. Um, Edward Morehouse was my um, kind of mentor early on, just kind of guided me into a really uh, great understanding of what it meant to be an actor. And then... Um, after that three years, I, I went to, uh, I moved to Austin, really got my feet wet in the film industry, mm-hmm. um, was going to move back to New York and then nine 11 happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided to move to LA. Never thought I would be an LA guy. I thought I was always going to be, if I was going to have a film career, it was going to be based on my work in the theater. Um, and uh, I moved out here, and I loved it. Um, I wrote a one-man show called A Noble Exile, and that ended up going to uh, New York. Um, I premiered it here, and then I got it into a festival in New York, and so I went back to New York, and I was there for three years, did some movies, um, some off-Broadway productions. I did True West by, by mm, Sam okay. Shepard, which was a blast and, and incredible success. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... so um, then the cold got to me again. <laughs> so I moved back to LA, um, based on another film that I did called fire city, which, um, finally just came out recently. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've been in LA back in LA now for four years. Now you live in LA, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're an LA guy. Okay. Would you consider yourself like there's like David is an LA guy. Am like, I? Yeah. You love, you love LA. You love it. You know, <laughs> right. um, Ventura Boulevard, yeah. Victory Boulevard, Imperial Highway. We love it. 
Absolutely. Right? I, I don't know any of the lyrics except <laughs> I love LA. But anyway. Oh, that song is great, by the way. Those lyrics are hilarious. I, oh, yeah. Because it's. Uh, do you know the song We Love, uh, we Love LA by Irina Newman? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I was thinking Sheryl Crow, but that's forgive <laughs> no, me. Right, if no, you go to a Dodgers <laughs> game, it's what plays after. But the thing about that song is that it's like a lot of Randy Newman stuff, it's like bitterly sarcastic. Yeah. Like he's talking about how homeless people have no problems cause it's LA. Like, uh-huh. yeah. and the fact that he, <laughs> when he lists his favorite streets, he lists things like victory Boulevard and Imperial yeah. highway, like weird things that are not like, he's not talking about the sunset strip. That yeah. song's hilarious. Victory sounds triumphant. Yeah. It's <laughs> not that triumph of his uh, triumphant of a street. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm an LA guy because just like you embrace the scene and you try to like do all the stuff that is yeah, around here. True. True. Uh, I, like to stay in my house and occasionally go to a movie or something what what would you say you are you do you think you are have you embraced la culture let's try that um culture um you know how often do you go to soul cycle because it does have a it does have a culture how often do i do what go to soul cycle i feel like that's oh no no no, no. i'm not that guy (laughs) yeah i'm not that guy but but soul cycle is actually in new york as well i think i heard a a, a interview or review about that it's you know it's a thing um, I love LA because it gives me everything that I, I need. I'm an outdoors guy. I need space. I need air to breathe. I can't be around a lot of people at once. So, um, so I, I have a difficult time going to a star Wars premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm being, you know, unless I have a publicist and they're taking me, you know, sure, t- yeah. <laughs> telling me where to go. Um, have you been up to big bear? I have been to Big Bear, yes, but uh, Lake Arrowhead primarily. I okay. prefer Lake Arrowhead because it's just a little bit more quiet. Have you ever had to put snow chains on Yes, I've had to put snow chains on my car. My brother came up. We went up to um, the Redwoods, and we took the whole trip up to mm-hmm. the Redwoods and then over to Yosemite and the Dome and all that. And it's, it's just the most beautiful. I mean, where else in the world can you go where you can go swimming? in Palm Springs and literally an hour North go skiing yeah. like right there, right next to each other. Um, so that's what California offers and LA yeah. offers. And, and if I'm stressed out, I'll go to Runyon Canyon or Fryman Canyon and, and be able to, it's five minutes away, you know, and I get to, um, just kind of breathe when I'm stressed out. Uh, in New York, it was just, you couldn't get away, you know? And I always thought if this ground caves in, on me while I'm in the subway. These people are the ones that I'm going to be trapped with. And I, ne- that was never a pleasant <laughs> thought for me. I'm like, I don't know if I mind being trapped necessarily, but these people are going to go crazy. Yeah. And if you things know. go wrong, these are the people you're going to have to you eat. Know, eat. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hopefully I get to eat them and they don't get to eat me. Yeah. Um, hopefully that, you know, works out. That's the kind of mental conversation <laughs> you have in New York. Yeah. I hope I have to eat them yeah. and not the other way around. And you know, I mean, who's, who's, not driving on the 101 and if everything goes to hell then you have a plan i know i have a machete and i don't but you know (laughs) that's something you think about i need to give him get a machete i need to contact my brother in texas right away we need to meet in the middle you know i plan i have a very active imagination Uh you know and i do watch a lot of walking dead (laughs) um you know so you know it's easier to get away you know and, you know, I have my turkey chili from Trader Joe's all packed away, ready to go in case of an earthquake. And, you know, <laughs> you're all covered. You don't have that machete, but you got your turkey got chili. Turkey Everything's chili. fine. You're good for at least, well, 24 hours, I guess. Right, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe 48 if you make it last. But who can make it last with, with oh, it's turkey so good. chili? Yeah. It's so good. Have you ever had it? No, I'm not oh, a yeah, chili okay. guy. Oh, I've definitely had it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Put some tapatio on there. It's really so good. good. Um, so, uh... 
Now, you mentioned um, you made some, uh, you, you were involved in films in Austin and New York and here. Do you consider yourself, are, are you a film buff? Are you into movies in uh, in, in that way? Or are you a it's a, actor that's first? That's a very good question. I'm an actor first. I mean, right. I have a hard time uh, getting, I, I have a friend and she is a, a her meant her ability to remember things is is uncanny mm. she can tell you every director i'm sure you guys can too every actor was in a film at a certain time and i don't i i watch a movie and i enjoy it and i don't care mm. necessarily who's in it i do have my favorite actors mm. you know my favorite actresses um uh but i just enjoy the film and i think that that's a testament to the director i don't and it right. probably would behoove me to be more you know um not appreciative, but more uh, knowledgeable about the director mm. that are making great films. But um, I love a story. And that's every time I get a script and I'm asked, you know, to do something, I have to either enjoy the story or en- enjoy the director that's asked me to, to do it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Well, so in that way, well, let me ask before we move on, uh, who are your favorite actors and actresses? Both. Um, I, I want I, I would like to know both as influences mm-hmm. and currently working david uh, you stole my question you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh influences well i have a grit of course i and these are going to kind of be um in a way cliche i guess but i, I have in-depth under uh, opinions about each one of them but um marlon brando of course is is because of his life story and and who he was um he was one of the most compassionate people that's ever lived he was an obsessive observer of the human condition to a degree that that ruined him i think Mm -hmm. and because he didn't have a grounding in who he was um on his own two feet or an understanding of how to love or be loved then then that compassion just he just fed on it and took in all that pain and then hermited himself and and ate and ate you know too much and drank too much or whatever to and then ultimately um hermited himself into this Existence where mm-hmm. he ended, it, where his life ended. Um, so, uh, so him, I have a great amount of respect for because of that deep passion for the human condition. Um, yeah, real quick, there's a there's a movie called Lost Soul. It's a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It is about the island of Doctor Moreau, the making of the island of okay. Doctor Moreau in the mid nineties. Um, specifically the guy who first, who was the original director, his name is Richard Stanley. And he just, you know, I, I'm not going to blame the executives. He clearly bit off more than he could chew. And so that he wound up getting fired from the project and you do get, uh, you don't get interviews with Brando at the time or, or, or later. Um, but you do get a sense that yes, he's kind of crazy, you know, uh, at best eccentric. Mm. Um, and that he will push a director and push other actors and t- to the point of like madness, but he is tremendously compassionate if he likes you like, and if he believes in you. Mm-hmm. And so he really fought for Richard Stanley. He wanted him to be on the project because he thought this guy understands what this project needs to be. And then when Richard Stanley was removed from the project, Brando was like, all right, I'm just going to be crazy for the rest of this time <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to push people and, and I'm going to effectively push them away. Um, and, uh, and you get a really strong sense of everything that you're talking about that he, he has a strong sense of, of art and what the best possible, uh, approach would be. 
but he also just can't really stop himself from being himself for good or ill. Right. Um, it's a really fascinating documentary. I okay, highly recommend it. it. So sorry about that. We can, oh, no, we can uh, move on. Other uh, Now, would you say he's just someone you admire or would you say he's like an influence? You know, like as an actor, you look at him and say, like, I could play those parts. Not literally, of course, but, you know, I'd like to play those types of parts. Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. Um, you know, I... I, I I, in my one man show that I wrote, there's a, a segment where I, I play 14 characters influenced by Tennessee Williams and, um, and, uh, writers, I would say influence me more than, than, mm-hmm. um, directors. But, um, in that one man show, I begin, I, I play the main, three main characters are myself, Tennessee Williams and Valentine Xavier from Orpheus ascending. And, those those three characters, and then I morph into all these other characters of Tennessee Williams in my own personal life. It's kind of a memoir influenced by them. Hmm. Um, and then I gradually go into becoming Blanche Dubois, and then that's end of Act One, and then Stanley comes in and basically beats the Blanche out of me. Yeah. Um, but in my research to, to uh, become Stanley, it was so difficult for me to get Marlon out of my head because he's the quintessential. All those mm-hmm. stars aligned with the likes and, and Tennessee Williams and, and, and Marlon Brando for that to happen, for yeah. Streetcar to happen. Um, but I think that, you know, my personal opinion, and I, I think it's true, is that inside all of us, inside all of us is everyone. So my, I, there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to do what Marlon Brando does because mm-hmm. he's not me and I'm not him. Right. Um, but my own honesty and truth and that that Stanley Kowalski that's in me, that's what I need to find. Mm -hmm. And let that, let that be, um, seen through the the glasses of my own being. You know what I mean? This question is going to sound facetious, but it is not. Okay. That show sounds exhausting to perform. (laughs) Like 14 Tennessee Williams characters, (laughs) all of them played by one person. Like after it's so histrionic and just like, not to mention after a while, you're just like, all right, I'm just going to talk in a Southern accent all the time (laughs) because that just saves, saves me some time and energy. But like, I assume that at the end of it, you must just been like just emotionally drained how i very not be very um uh i always felt like i had gotten a good massage afterwards (laughs) yeah exhausting but i you know true west was the same for me i mean i think any show any show that you're committed to Mm -hmm. at at the end of it you're you're exhausted at the end of it no matter what you're you 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 should be especially if you're one of the I mean, I just did bent at Mark Taper Forum, and I was uh, the Nazi, the train Nazi, and I had two other um, supporting roles in the, in the play. So I played basically three different characters throughout the the play, and you know we're not in the whole second act. There's two. It's only a two person show, but it was an exhausting show. Even the three times I was on stage, mm-hmm. you know, um, because <coughs> you know you you go through that experience, and you know I you, inevitably. You know, you go through the experience of beating somebody up or, you know, forcing someone else to, um, you know, hit hit their best friend or lover or whatever it was. But, you know, it's it, I think it, commitment is is exhausting, you know. Well, speaking of experiences, I think that's a probably good way to get into uh, uh, Embrace of the Serpent, um, which sounds like seems like it must have been quite an experience to make. But first, I want to ask you. I want a definitive answer on the director and how you pronounce his name. <laughs> Ciro Guerra. Ciro Guerra. Guerra, which uh, Guerra means war. Right. Oh. Which is 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, Sounds like he was combative on set. No, not at all. <laughs> so, um, for the listener, um, who well, I'm sure most of the listeners haven't had a chance to see embrace of the serpent yet. It, uh, Half of the hosts haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does come out. Um, it does. Uh, we'll have a theatrical release in, in February. Um, Quickly, it is the story of it. It takes place uh, two time periods: one one in the nineteen tens, and then your part is, I think, the nineteen forties, early nineteen forties, um, in the Colombian rainforest, um, and two different Westerners, a, a German, I think, in the early part, and you are an American, um, both sort of traversing the same um, trail up the river. Um, you have your character having been having been influenced by the writings of the previous character. And both of you have the same guide at different ages, uh, and different actors playing the same guide who is, um, uh, an indigenous, a native to the forest. Yeah. So I just wanted to give that uh, background of the plot, um, or the premise, uh, appreciate to, that. to the listener. Um, what was it like making the movie? Uh, were you down, down in Columbia? Um, I was down in uh, Columbia and Amazon for two months. Um, it was it was thrilling um you know when the way that i i'll start with this the way that i got the role was i'd done another movie called avenged um two years prior to uh that that producer connected me with the producer on embrace the serpent and then i spoke with the director on skype and we talked back and forth he sent me the script i fell in love with it um and we just connected um kind of on a, a spiritual uh in a spiritual way and he saw my passion for the film um script the script version so once they acknowledged they said yes you know come down i of course i did the research made sure that everybody was legit you know um and i was flying into um flying into bogota and i realized and i knew that i was either gonna <laughs> get lost in the jungle or uh get kidnapped or fall off something or get bit by something and uh or i was gonna have the most amazing time of my life uh-huh. if all of that happened i would still probably be having the most amazing time of my life yeah just in a, in, from a different angle <laughs> from a different angle um so yeah so uh i i i of course i agreed and um flew into bogota then directly the next morning flew into me to uh Mitu. and um and my whole i mean literally the second i walked i, I stepped foot in Mitu, i was alienated from the world mm-hmm. and you give me that any day yeah oh yeah, my gosh <laughs> you put me in the jungle and you know i met the producer christina and then um and knew i was safe you know i knew that i was safe and would be safe in the experience um so yeah that would be the next two months of my life um some amazing magical stories uh that i'll share with you um uh, I was down there two weeks early. I speak four languages in the film, uh, which isn't quite fair because the fourth language is in English and it's the one, right. it's the only line in the, in the movie that's English, uh, which I think was kind of a mistake. Um, and, uh, and Ciro decided, he said, keep it. And, um, so Spanish, Portuguese, but the main language is Witoto, which is an ancient indigenous language, um, of which my counterpart, Katamakati, played by Antonio, um, speaks fluently. And he's one of the last remaining survivors of his tribe. And he is one of the last remaining survivors of this language. Um, so it was an honor to be able to speak this language. I play Richard Evan Schultes, who was the father of ethnobotany. And 
he was fluent in multiple languages, um, indigenous languages. Uh, so I only had to speak the one, <laughs> luckily. But to memorize that literally 10 hours a day, and it would take me three hours to memorize one paragraph. And I would get on set, and I would work with Antonio the night before, and uh, we would go through it, and he's and he would have he would change some things the night before in rehearsal or whatever, and uh, the next day on set I would get to set, and he would say, "Oh, that's not that's not the correct response to this." So I would have to change, even though, but it didn't happen too often. But um, but yeah, it it did happen. It, was, it could be frustrating, but I loved this man so much. He's just a uh, Antonio's just a, a spirit and a like he just glows with this inner light. He's just an amazing human being. So were you, were you basically learning it just phonetically and just, mm-hmm. just saying like, all right, so this is a, this is what I'm saying. This is how it's going to sound. So I guess I'm going to have to try to act this while, while trying to remember these syllables essentially. Well, you know, I had to get it so in my mouth right. and in my system that and repetition, 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 so that I could think in English and know my objective and intention in English and um, then be able to not think about what I'm saying. It was almost like speaking in tongues. Yeah. Um, and I just because I knew the I knew the script backwards and forwards, I knew where I was at all places in the script and we would we would have to all change things. So I had to be prepared with these are the three possible scenes I'm going to do today. Um, and because we were shooting on 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. my takes were very, very limited, like limited to one. <laughs> so one, two, if I was lucky to get two takes. Um, and um, yeah, so that was, it was, that was the most challenging, but luckily I was there two weeks prior to shooting um, and got a, a, a you know, a, a accommodate or I got affiliated with all the uh the other actors and and the Amazon itself and and uh yeah it was amazing so were you there, like you obviously don't share any scenes with um Jan uh were you there were you there at the same time yeah okay yeah yeah we we overlapped um while I was while I was shooting for those two weeks because he was there a week before me, I think, and they shot out most of his stuff. And uh, there's one scene where we are both in the in the scene together, the boats, and oh, that was right. the first scene that I yeah. that I that I shot. Um, but we, but yeah, we became great friends. He's a wonderful guy too. And his last name is pronounced Bazoo. Okay, <laughs> oh, boy. I think you know what I've tried to say it over and over and over again. Of course, when I talk to him, he he goes, "It's one of those Bazoo, Bazoo, Babu, Bazoo, Bazoo." You know, one of those things. Um, and this is the actor from uh, Borgman, which um, uh, oh, made okay. a part of Splash a couple yeah. years ago. In the in, and he was also in a movie called The Broken Circle Breakdown. He had a small part in that, but that's a fantastic but crushing uh, movie. I don't know if you've seen the broken circle I have breakdown. It is really well made, uh, but one of the most depressing things I've ever seen in my life. Um, anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to get some of your um, great stories from being there, but I have, uh, you reminded me of something that I meant to ask you because you said you're playing Richard Evan Schultes. Um, and I, I've hesitated from to, to actually say that because it, it feels like, well, that's yes, that's a character, and that was a real person. There are sort of fantastical fictional parts of uh, of this story. You know, it's so. 
do, so do you really feel like you are playing this, you were, are playing a real historical figure or did you have to sort of balance that with, um, what happens in the screen? I don't want to talk about where it goes, but there's, I mean, there's some fantastic, there's this, you know, magical healing plant that you guys are, are, are searching for. It's not, it's not a entirely empirically, uh, factual movie. Um, it is based in the journals of those two explorers. Right. right? Um, and, and Richard inspired the character for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so prior to going down there the month prior, I did extensive research on him. And that's one of the cool things about being an actor or an artist at all is that you get to learn so much things that so many things that you wouldn't normally get to, to learn. So I did extensive research on Richard and, but I knew that, and I read uh, One River by Wade Davis. Um, I did a lot of work on his bio, and I, I tried to memorize plants in Latin, but I re- knew that that was just kind of stupid. Um, uh, but he he knew so much. But what you want to do with, with any character that you play is find the humanity in them and find what the similarities that you have with them and find them inside you, like I mentioned earlier, and then elevate that. Once you do that, you can trust that, you know, you can, you can let go and and live in the moment and play the role. Um, there was certain things that I knew that I needed to give him justice for, which was his obsession for knowledge, his obsession Mm -hmm. for plants. And, um, and there's a moment in the film where, and it's not giving anything away, but there's a moment in the film where I stop and I turn and I see a plant and I'm traveling, I'm following him. But because I learned that my obsession for plants needed to be, he, that needed to be seen in the film. I needed that one moment to, to show that I was passionate. I could be doing anything and Richard could see a plant a hundred yards away uh-huh. and recognize it as something that hasn't been discovered before. And he would take a note and say, I've got to come back to that plant. Hmm. So two years later he would come back to that plant. Um, but he was obsessive about them. So, um, what then I realized I needed to f- discover what drew me, what made me passionate about uh, or the character passionate about the Amazon and the people there, um, ethnobotany, the study of plants and cultures. Um, and the people there are so simple in so many ways, but extraordinary, extraordinarily complex and spiritual. Um, in the Amazon, you can't, you can't deny the spirituality. It, life and death exist simultaneously right there next to each other, joy, happiness, and, and devastation. Mm. Um, so it's very, very tight and balanced. Um, so I couldn't wrap my head around what the experience would be in the Amazon. Right. I couldn't wrap my head around what that might be or, or, you know, anticipated at all. So literally the second I got there, I did all my research on Richard. And the second I got there, I just became an observer and what I realized is that in that is that's exactly what my character was doing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about um, the the story of the movie itself, but if there's something in Richard, the character's actions that is either part of the fictionalized or just speculative part that might uh, reflect poorly on him. Do you, as someone who's done all this research on this person, do you feel bad about that do you feel a responsibility to justify maybe some of his 
it's not that he's a bad guy, uh, but there are, I, I, I'm just dancing around I understand uh, the revelations of the, I understand what you're saying. Of the movie. Um, Richard was an amazing man from the research that I did. He, he introduced us to a great deal of information about plants and healing plants. Um, uh, so, and the, and the indigenous there loved him and there were so many great things that he was sent by the government to, um, uh, cultivate a rubber plantation, Mm -hmm. but he did it in a way that, and he made sure that they, that they were paid and they were paid well because the experience in the Amazon, I mean, it was uh, genocide, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, prior to, you know, in the, up till 1960s, you know, when they started making laws and rules. But in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the rubber barons were criminals sent over here, over there to, yeah. to, it was, it was awful. And the movie does not shy away from depicting the, the effects of that. No, it yeah. doesn't. Um, so, uh, in that Richard was a hero to the United States and in many ways, a hero to Columbia. And he kind of was a, 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 a main figure in alerting the world to the demise of the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do something about it, then we're destroying the world. Right. In, in effect, because it's kind of the lungs of the world, they say. Um, so, but inside all of us is bad mm-hmm. inside. All of us is that struggle with good and bad which in a certain moment in the film, you see that struggle mm-hmm. with Richard. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's humanity. And I, I, I think that you can't paint a picture of someone without showing them humanity. You can't tell a story about someone without showing them their humanity. You, in every character in the film, Jan's character, both young and old, Katamakati and myself, and you know, then you have the, you know, the, you know, the the Messiah guy mm-hmm. who was just pretty much all bad. Yeah. But you can't you can't depict a character without showing that humanity, the good and bad. Everyone is good and bad. Well, and I, I feel like for the the performances in general and the actors in general that I respond to the most are the ones that, and this might be an oversimplification, but the idea that nobody's the villain in their own life, you know, nobody's the antagonist in their own story. And so even if they're being selfish, even if they are actively choosing their own good over other people's, and even if they know they're being greedy, there's something in them, and this comes in, this comes in from a, a therapist I had once that just, they have to... They're weighing, they're looking at the benefit, yes, to them, and they're weighing things. It's like, all right, I know what I'm doing is bad. I probably feel a little bad about it. I prefer not to do it that way. But compared to the benefit, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And those are people that we would view as bad people because they take what's inside everybody and then they do it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot, all of us have that instinct and then try not to, mm-hmm. um, sometimes failing. And you know, that's when you gotta say, Hey, sorry, everybody. Um, which might not always work by the way, depending on how far you've gone. <laughs> but, um, and so when I think of, when I think of, uh, my favorite characters and then what the actors must've had to do, uh, to show the conflict in them, it just astounds me because as I've gotten older, the characters and performances that I respond to the most are the ones that literally, like you said, they're good and bad. And actors often have to do both, not 
Not like, okay, in this scene, I'll be good. In this scene, I'll be bad. Often in the exact same scene, they have to be both. And that's something that fascinates me. And to me, like you mentioned, you played Stanley Kowalski. And that is a character who is monstrous, but super charismatic and thinks that he's a good guy and might actually be a good guy at times, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. Well, everyone, I mean, I play a lot of bad guys, but everyone, you, you have to justify, Mm -hmm. you have to justify and find the humanity in it. You know, uh, I played a Nazi uh, multiple times and once you, once you discover the humanity and the reason why someone can justify doing what they do, then you, then that's the answer. Yeah. And that's what we can all relate to. Cause whether it's a, a small amount or a grand amount, we all have done bad, Yeah, you know, and it's just a matter of, of the, the context and the circumstances that lead us to a situation where we're faced with a choice and it's either this or this, and you've got to make that choice, you know? And I think that that's, I think that that is that, unfortunate part of humanity that exists you know the yin and the yang the uh and listeners know this that to me the the absolute worst villain by which i mean I, he's a wonderful character but as far as like just the most insidious villain in all of film is the character of noah cross from chinatown um played by john houston who i don't know if you've seen chinatown well okay. He's done some bad things, mm-hmm. and but he still is super charming, has a grandfatherly quality to him, is really approachable, and when it comes right down to it, uh, I love this this line where uh, he's talking to Nicholson. He's like, he goes, he's like, as I'm sure you found out, I lost my daughter a long time ago, and then Nicholson's like, well, who do you blame for that? Her? And he goes, I don't blame myself, <laughs> and he's like, he goes, you know, he goes because you know, Mister Gitz. Uh, he's like, most people never have to face the fact that in the right circumstances, they're capable of anything. And that line is chilling to me because I agree with him, but he seems to be using it as a justification rather than just a statement of philosophy. And it's terrifying Mm -hmm. that this guy who can seem so, so friendly and open is capable of such horrible things. But every sociopath on the planet, yeah, Dahmer to 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 um, oh, uh, what's his name? Donald um, Trump. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. They're they're charismatic. They can charm you. I played a narcissist in another movie, and 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 that and sociopaths are usually narcissists, mm. almost always. I don't know of anyone that's not. Trump is a narcissist. Uh-huh. He's an extreme narcissist. Yes, but all of them kind of are. <laughs> you know, it, but you kind of would have to be. I think. You, I think you would have to be. Um, but um, that charm. And that, you know, Hitler was able to speak and that's why he drew so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was such a, an incredible, inspirational, motivational, transformational speaker, you know, and that's what won him the power. Um, but filled with narcissism and, and greed and, yeah. and, and craving for power and attention. Um, so I think, and I always go with the charm. Mm-hmm. If I'm playing a bad guy, I always go for the charm. Because the context of the script is going to present you with that I'm a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, that part will be fine. You don't need to <laughs> you know? tend much to that. Exactly. You know, so so I think that when you play into the I'm the villain, it's just yeah. it's just who who of great characters does that? 
Um, Benicio del Toro in, um, I said Benicio del Toro. I'm going to, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, any of, they are, they're so charming, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and in every villainous role they play, you yeah. know, you just love them. Mm-hmm. But they're doing bad things. Well, Christoph Waltz, speaking of Nazis oh, and Inglorious yeah. Bastards, yeah. is so, and and also Tarantino in general writes great villains like yeah. DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Who you know we're talking about a slave owner mm-hmm. or you know multiple slave owner who pits them against each other, does horrible barbaric things, and then of course the Jew hunter, as he is known, like these guys are monsters capable of monstrous things but both actors just imbue them with this thing that a makes them super watchable mm-hmm. surprisingly entertaining which can make a person uncomfortable and i think it should um but also you can actually you can kind of see even if you're not given a lot of backstory which with uh with the jew hunter i think you're not given a whole lot of backstory um but you can kind of just read into how they arrived where they are and for me i like that because as a viewer, you can then see, yeah, I guess in the right, to quote Noah Cross, I guess in the right circumstances, we're all capable of anything, including me. And then it's just like, oh, shoot, what am I doing right now? <laughs> and then I realize, oh, no, I'm choking a guy right now. Why am I doing this? Right. Well, right. I want to get back to Embrace of the Sorry. Serpent because I, I, well, I worry that we've gone down this path of giving people the impression that Richard is the villain of Embrace of the Serpent, and that's not, right. it's not that kind of movie. If anything right. is the villain of the movie, it's maybe colonialism, and uh, Richard might represent an, an agent of that, but it's not, it's not that kind of movie. Um, so definitely see the movie is what I'm saying. But I want to hear some of your uh, stories uh, that you teased earlier. So two weeks into um, my being there and em- embracing the Amazon, um, I was still trying to find Richard, my character, and, and Ciro and I were working together to to really find where the rock is in him, like kind of the, the, the pivot point um, in which he's grounded. Um, and... I was, you know, nervous to give justice to this guy, but also find the find him and me and, and, and let go and be able to just live. And and, and um, that night it was my two. I had shot my first scene and then which was the end of the movie. Um, and that night I went into my hotel room. We. I'm sorry, I'm going kind of all over the place. We, when I first moved, when I first got there, they took me in on a two-hour uh, uh, Jeep ride into the Amazon. So I was already in Matu, but then they took me two hours into the Amazon even deeper, to this electric power plant. So this power plant was surrounded by guards and surrounded by, we had our own security, um, and we were staying at these, um, like this long warehouse cabin, and it was divided into different uh, corridors into different rooms. And I thought this is, and I never knew what was going to happen. Never knew where I was going to go next. So I thought this is where I was going to be for two months. <laughs> not excited about it. Um, because I felt like it was a concentration camp. I couldn't get out. I, I, you know, I couldn't go jogging in the jungle. I couldn't, you know, um, but, uh, the following week we moved into Matu after we were shooting there, we moved into Matu and, um, we stayed this really great, 
little motel. It was five star compared to, you know, but it was like <laughs> zero star if you were, if you were here, but it was great. And the, the people that owned it basically lived there and, uh, it was just very cozy and, and, and sweet. And I have never been so excited to see an AC unit in my life. <laughs> uh, walked in, I had my own room and, uh, I walked in and I, I, I kissed the AC unit because it was, <laughs> it was going to be my, my friend and companion. Um, so, that night, I'd been there for a few days, and we were shooting my first scene. And then uh, that night, I went to bed and moved. I had stacks of books and papers and papers and papers. Um, and I moved them out of the way, and I laid down. I fell asleep, and, I, and then I hear this chant. I hear this, and I open my eyes, and I feel this presence, and I see this presence above me. And I don't believe in ghosts. I don't, I'm, I, I've never had a conversation with one, right? And it stops chanting, looks at me, turns its face to me, and then raises up. And I'm scared, so I move back to the back of my bed, and I'm looking at it. It moves to the front of the bed. I get up, I'm at the corner over here, and it turns, looks at me, we have a stare off. It moves to the front of the bed, and then moves out into the darkness in, in this little hallway. And I follow it out and I see it just disappear. Turn on all the lights. I'm looking under the bed. I'm looking, you know, in, in my little closet space. I open the door. Um, nothing was there. But I sit on the edge of my bed and I realize that, long story short, that I'd been blessed. I'd been welcomed into the jungle. And literally the next day on set, Zero, uh, we were shooting a certain scene and there was certain something that happened specifically and I hear cut and Zero came down and gave me, he had this grin on his face and he, he, he said, that's him. Yeah. That's it. So whatever it was, you know, that, that, that visited me, uh, the, the, the source, uh, was welcoming me. And in order for us to have had permission to shoot in the Amazon, the production needed to be blessed by a, a shaman prior to. So mm-hmm. this was like a month or two before we went down there to shoot. And, uh, the shaman stays up all night and he prays for 24 hours and the Amazon grants us p- permission to come in. And we were safe. We were, nobody got hurt. Nobody died. And, uh, and it was pretty, I mean, pretty challenging circumstances. I mean, you're carrying yeah. a 35 millimeter camera in the depths of the Amazon, like where people just don't go. Um, and then there were, we had different points where the villages were and we'd shoot inside there and everybody was just interested and welcoming. And, uh, so that was, that was crazy. Wow. You hear, you hear stories about, um, so I remember there was this, uh, there was this comedic documentary six episode series called fishing with John that David and I are big fans of. Um, and John Lurie, who's a musician and an actor, he was, uh, going to various places all over the the world, uh, and fishing with his celebrity buddies. So it was a very strange thing, but in the commentary, he was talking about going to the Amazon and that just, there's just this, at times it's beautiful, but it just feels oppressive. It just feels like I shouldn't be here. Like as a human being, I'm not welcome here by animals, by whatever it is. Just like everything here can kill me and will if I'm not careful. Uh And he just said that like, it was the only place that he had gone to and really felt like maybe we should go somewhere else. Um, and then I also, in a 
weird uh, aside, uh, we had a guy named Rob Sesternino on the show who was on Survivor uh, when they went to the Amazon, and there's tarantulas everywhere, and it's just, and even though, like, there's cameras all over them, there are producers all over the place, there's security all over the place, they're about as safe as they can be, and even then, they just said, like, it just feels... I'm tired. I'm just tired being here because mm-hmm. the place is so n- oppressive. Sounds negative. There's it's a, just there's a, a a density to it. Yes. There's and and like I said earlier, there's the, the that density is that life and death are existing like this. Yeah. Um. You know the the Vops River that we were on didn't have any piranhas. <laughs> um. We didn't see. <laughs> I was literally going to ask. <laughs> uh, you know there because of the the mineral that are in that part of, of, of the river, the fish don't really um, exist there. There are some, but you know, it's, you're not getting any kind of crazy, wild, large. But they did have pink dolphins. There's dolphins, freshwater dolphins, in when we went to Puerto Inarita. Um, there, and they would just come up and swim with you. And I'm in a canoe, and they just come up like this. And... Um, there was so yeah, but that's the in the film. There's a there's this one of the philosophies and the concepts. And let me just say, this film is represents everything that I've ever believed in in, mm-hmm. in my life. Um, it is the philosophical equivalent of of my existence, um, which is strange that I got to be <laughs> right. in the film. What a, what a happy coincidence. <laughs> what a wonderful iron, uh, coincidence. Yeah. Um, but in the film, there's this philosophy of letting go and not trying to control the elements, um, letting nature work with you and let, letting the universe work with you. Um, and I think that, once you do that and this crew was phenomenal i mean they were phenomenal they you know it would start to rain we'd see it coming we'd shoot up until we couldn't shoot anymore and the rain would come and bam just you know right on us um there was but we had to give in to it so we'd move over let it rain let the elements let everything have its way and then just trust and trust that you know, because literally, and Ciro would tell you, he was two or three weeks in going, this is impossible. How are we going to do this? How are we going to shoot this? How are we going to... In seven weeks, we shot this film. Right. The film was shot out in seven weeks on 35 millimeter. Um, so there's this understanding that we can only control so much. And yes, when we're presented with a choice, we have to take action. But then... That might not be the right thing. So what do you do? Let go and let the universe kind of do its thing and it will guide you mm-hmm. into the right into the right path. And I think that that's, that's what I think people, if they're trying, feel there is, is I can't control anything. And if, and that is, if you're trying to control something that you can't control, that's, that's oppression. I think I, what I, what I love about the movie and, and it's, philosophy is that it, it does have that that the mystical connectedness sort of thing you're talking about but that stuff i think in america and on the west coast um is thought of as hand in hand with like just hippy dippy people or like rich people paying tens of thousand dollars to go to retreat on the coast mm-hmm. or whatever and the fact that you're getting this spiritual um look at life alongside 
the the life and death you're talking about the 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 fact that the jungle is so tactile in the movie maybe that's part mm-hmm. of the 35 millimeter um uh shooting and and just the performances and everything being so ground level and real it's it it it, it takes that kind of what we can maybe in this country can dismiss as new agey uh, hokum and it puts Ooh. it in a real context and it makes that, it makes that philosophy all the more, all the more powerful and relatable. I think there's, there's truth in what you can't see. And when you open your eyes and open and, and, and opening yourself is not just opening your eyes, but it's opening your heart. It's opening. And there's truth to that. The native Americans knew it. Um, the indigenous, every, every indigenous, anybody, any group of people that is connected to the earth gets that understands that. And, uh, we would all do ourselves a favor if we, if we went back to, to learning and, uh, experiencing that way of life. Um, how, how much of the, I'm sorry, how much of the, um, of the making of the film, and you mentioned the idea of like, okay, rain's coming, so we need, we'll need to stop, but then we're going to get right back to it. You know, mm-hmm. this is not going to ruin the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the, how much of the philosophy of the film that you're talking about, kind of this go with the flow sounds too reductive, but you know what I mean? Just letting go. How much of that informed the way the film was made, including like sticking closely to the script? Like were there, were there changes on a regular basis? Because like, oh, well I wrote th- where, the script was written in a certain circumstance, but now that we're here, a certain scene doesn't feel right or a character beat doesn't feel right. So, you know what? We're going to go with what's feeling, how we're feeling now. Or because just like, okay, we got one take for everything. We can't be, <laughs> we got to stick pretty close to the script. Like, I it? think in a lot of ways that, you know, Cyril had a very clear idea of even, I think he was editing as he was going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, we would shoot and they, they would literally send the footage back as we were shooting. So, you know, it was being edited as we were shooting. Um, there were some things that would change and Cyril was very open to my opinions and, 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 and all the actors expressions. Um, we relied a lot on, on Antonio in terms of, um, helping us understand the cultures. Um, and Nilbio, Nilbio is a farmer. He's the young Katamakati. Mm-hmm. That's how they found him in, in one of the villages and they, his family were going to be extras. And so his family and his part of the village were extras and they pressured him to do it. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And they said, you should do it. You should do it. He goes, the only way I'm going to do this film is if I'm the star. <laughs> if I'm the star of the film. And wow. there you go. He's Hollywood already. <laughs> he's Hollywood already. Um, but, uh, and, and he, he was great, you know, and Ciro's connection and, and, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to get the role. Um, he he bases his decisions on feeling and we had a connection he had a connection with Jan and a connection with these other guys and so he directs the same way he he surrounds himself with an extraordinarily passionate capable crew um Claudia who was the first AD was she's just a master of her job. Uh, the film couldn't have done, been done without her. Um, the film couldn't have been done without the, the tireless uh, work of the makeup and, and, and um, costumers. And, you know, we'd get done shooting and I'd be back in my apartment or my hotel at 11 o'clock. And the ne- very next morning we're shooting again at six and uh, my clothes are clean and on the, you know, waiting for me, which was amazing. You know, of course I'd been staying up three more hours to learn my lines, <laughs> but, um, without, and that letting go and that trust, 
Um, and the crew was very much like that themselves. Um, you know, there, you just have to go with it. There wasn't a lot of changes. Um, mm-hmm. some minor lines here and there, there's some things that we shot that aren't in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most beautiful examples of this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but okay. you'll know, um, is there, when I first got there at the electric lodge, electric power plant, um, and I was walking with Andres, who was the um, set uh, acting coach and translator. And he and I became buddies. We're, we're great friends. And there's a moth. And the moth's there this big. And that's like half a foot long, at least. Right. Um, and it flew around. And they're beautiful. Beautiful. And it flew around and landed on my shoulder. And there, it flew up and then went down and landed on my foot. And Andres said, you know, when a moth or a butterfly lands on you, you're going to go through a metamorphosis. You're going to go through a change in your life. Okay. Well, I'm always ready for that. Um, but I knew it wouldn't happen, you know, overnight. I knew it wouldn't happen, but I knew that this journey was part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the very end of our shooting, um, we were picking up a certain scene and Ciro cleared the set and this is a long story short, but there were these butterflies feeding on mercury, f- feeding on minerals, sorry, feeding on minerals. And it was a grouping of butterflies and they looked like about 50 and Cyril cleared the set, put the camera up here, said, Brion, start over there and walk. And when you get to the butterflies, stop. Okay. I knew what was about to happen. <sighs> and I walked and I stopped and the butterflies flew up around me hundreds. It felt like thousands and I could feel them. I could hear them. Uh-huh. And there's the river and then there's the mountains and the trees. This is Brion totally getting off on this experience, right? <laughs> Richard is back home on his, on his couch. This was mine. And, and, um, because I'm far enough away from the camera, there's, you know, I can just live in it. And, uh, and I hear Ciro say, okay, Brion walk out. And I couldn't move. How many times in your life, if ever, are you going to have this kind of experience where butterflies are flying around you and you get to see this, doing something that you love to do? So I I stayed there for a little bit longer and then I moved out. So when I saw the film at Cannes, I was anxious to see where they put this scene. And the, 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 the crew went crazy after they got the footage, right? Just went crazy. And... Um, I was anxious to see it cam where it was and in the, in the film. And then all of a sudden it's there uh-huh. and then that's the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> I tried to be very <laughs> ambiguous about explaining it, yeah. but, um, but, uh, it's that, uh, that was a circumstance of letting go and letting, yeah. letting the universe give something to you. It's sort of, so that so when you say that's the end, that's like the last thing in the film. Is that what you're saying, or that's the end of of uh, an aspect of the film? We'll just say it's the end of an aspect of the film. Okay, that kind of thing fascinates me because literally something that was powerful enough to warrant ending something um, was just shot on the fly, like a recognition of, hey, this would be something pretty good. Um, a similar thing that I always liked is Last Temptation of Christ, where uh, uh, 
the last, of course, the, the last shot of the film is Willem Dafoe up on the cross and saying it is accomplished and then dying. And as they were shooting that, I think, did the film run out or did it just burn for some reason? I don't remember. And so as he's hanging there, like you get all these very strange ethereal effects of like orange and all that. And it turns out that it was something physically happening with the film in that moment. And it just adds this very strange uh, visual element to that. Mm -hmm. And Martin Scorsese is like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to leave that in. And uh, that's how the movie ends, you know? And uh, it just, I think the ability to recognize you do yourself a disfavor as a director or producer, as an actor, as an artist, if you don't allow the elements to come in, you think that you have an idea and that's going to get you started. But then if you don't trust your DP, your, your, if you don't trust the people that you're around to bring in their own uh, experiences, you're, you're limiting your vision um, until you're like Scorsese, I think, you know, who, I, from what I understand, goes in and has a very clear mm-hmm. understanding of this is how, you know, um, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You can't you can't imagine how grand a bigger picture is inside the limitations of your mind. Mm-hmm. That can exist here, but that the universe exists here, and that's your chest. Um, <laughs> um, you do yourself a disservice by thinking that you're going to plan everything out exactly. Yeah. Just. That's the thing that always got me about Hitchcock is that while his movies are amazing, mm-hmm. his his attitude, and he said this, is mm-hmm. that like once I'm once the storyboards are done, the movie's done. Mm-hmm. Like everything was planned out, and it's like all right, now we just need to direct to the storyboards. And yes, there you can find stuff in performances certainly, but as far as the technical, well, even that he was very limited. He wouldn't let the actors. Yeah, he didn't let them play very much, no. um, and so. While I love his movies and just like, well, he clearly had enough of a vision during the storyboard process that he made very effective films, but they're not films that I often feel will are, are very emotionally welcoming. They're intellectually welcoming and thematically right. uh, welcoming, but emotionally, they're just kind of at arm's length, um, as opposed to directors like Mike Lee or, or even Robert Altman, just people that or John Cassavetes, people that can be a bit more improvisational with the actors and just with the story they're telling. And if, and Terrence Malick is a big one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's, it's a, it's not better filmmaking and it's not even necessarily more organic filmmaking. It's just a, it's just a different type of filmmaking that I, that I very much respond to. Yeah. Well, Brian, we've gotten some great, uh, insights um uh is there anything else about your uh experience in the amazon making race of the server that you want to impart uh before we you know if um i had no i had no idea what i was about to go on when i was there just that experience in and of itself was was amazing and was going to be life-changing and amazing but for it to have done as well as it's done and to be you know, potentially going to, you know, one of the greatest, biggest awards events in the world. Um, you know, all that potential and for it to be considered and be as an artist, you always want to do stuff and have people see it and be, people want to be moved by it. And I have always said, I want to be a part of a whole, everything I want to do is I want to be a part of a whole. Um, and if that means that the story is about my character, if that means whatever, I just want to be a part of a whole. And now, that the film is being seen by the world and it's such a perfect time for it. Um, the spiritual component of the film 
then I've, I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. It's still an amazing journey and who knows where else and what else is going to happen after this. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you uh, so much for being here and talking about this. This is fantastic. And there, as much as there are more things I want to uh, talk to you about uh, that would be too specific and geeky about for uh-huh. people who've, who haven't seen the movie yet, but they can see the movie in uh, February. I think it starts uh, its uh, official release February 17th. Oh, great. Um, uh, that's in New York and February 19th is in L.A. Okay. Um, so definitely check it out if you live in one of those two places or come to one of those two places to, to go check it out. And if you're if you're a tweeter or a follower of things look up uh el abrazo de la serpiente it's the spanish translation of embrace of the serpent you can also do hashtag embrace the serpent um you can do brian davis <laughs> plug myself yeah sure uh brian davis uh, you can do that on uh, facebook you can do that on uh, um twitter and instagram and follow the movie yeah, I, I really look forward to more people being able to see it, and I hope it does. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see it. Yes, I hope it does uh, show up uh, on the on the Oscar uh, nominations on January 14th, I think. Um, so, Try not um, to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find all of our movie reviews, including my review of Embrace of the Serpent, um, and all of the other podcasts in the BP fleet. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. Uh, tyler, you have a couple of the podcast one's about survivor uh and one's yeah. uh, called more than one lesson what's going on over there let's see by the time this goes up our krampus episode has gone up which is a weird thing to say about my christian podcast uh <laughs> and then um i think i think uh we'll be continuing our our series on the best pictures and i think uh, the next one up is uh the godfather all right which is a longer episode as i'm sure you can imagine um my other podcast is about TV. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. Um, I don't know what, because we're recording so far in a, earlier than we usually do. Uh, I'm not really sure what we're talking about. I do know on our Christmas episode, last time I said it was going to be um, Ren, of the St- Ren, Ren and Stimpy, Son of Stimpy, <laughs> and Will and Grace Jingle Balls. But it turns out Will and Grace is not available anywhere to watch online, which is crazy. In this you couldn't even age. find it, like, illegally? I th- we don't want to... Uh, but we uh, <laughs> we traded up. Uh, went with um, News Radio Season 2 Xmas Story. Um, well, News Radio is always a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find that at battleshipretention.com. And uh, once again, um, Brion, you are at, at Brion Davis. Yeah, uh, just do at Brion Davis and you can B-R-I-O-N-N-E. find R-I-O-N-N-E. Yeah, if, if, you, if you go to Facebook, go to my pro page. Don't go to my personal page. Good, good <laughs> advice. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, this is a great deal. No, thank you very much. You guys are awesome. Oh, I have to pee. All right. And they, well, on that note, thanks at home for listening. <laughs> we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 